I'll be using the PowerPoint quite extensively today because I tend to deliver a pretty technical uh, subject. What you have heard read, but Ewan, is found on the earliest manuscripts we have found. It's called the P52. The, it's kept in John Ryland Library, the University of Manchester in United Kingdom. And if you will happen to be ever going to that library in Manchester, do go and visit it. Imagine the 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 the, the manuscript which we found is the earliest one have what Ian read about the trial of Jesus Christ. I thought it was more than just a coincidence that the Lord kept that small piece of scripture to tell us that our doctrine was age old. The doctrine of Christ, our celebration of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ a week ago was not something we evolved but it was what we found on the earliest manuscript. And this manuscript is dated. The latest is 200 AD, but it actually could date even to 110 AD. That means to say that is one of the first generation copies of John's Gospel. Some scholars say that when John wrote that gospel, his ink was not even dry yet when somebody copied this. So we are having a very, very early manuscript. I'm just setting a tone of what I'm going to share with you today, and it will be a bit of the research which is what I've done. And uh, it could be a lengthy one, but I hope you won't fall asleep. <laughs> All right, we are talking about the authority of the scripture. We are focusing on the authority of the scripture. So that's why I bring in these manuscripts and what we're going to say. Now, if you look to the Bible, a very common verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, and all of us could probably have memorized this. And if you haven't, perhaps you should try doing it. It says, All scriptures is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for training in righteousness, that a man of God can be fully equipped for every good work. It says that all scriptures are inspired by God. Paul was writing to Timothy. The issue is not that Timothy have any doubt that the Bible was the scripture inspired by God. Like us, the issue is, do we live according to the scripture? That is the first issue. To the Christian, the first issue about the authority of scripture is this. Are we living according to what the scriptures say? When the scriptures say, do not love the world, are we loving the world? Are we trying to build a relationship which is not right? And the scripture pointed us 
that we should not do that. We should not let the devil have a foothold on our life. Are we seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or are we building our kingdom? And that's the struggle of the Christian. Not, not that we do not believe that the scripture is inspired by God. The struggle for us is whether we live according to the scripture. The second verse which I want to take is if you turn to me to Matthew 22 verse 31 to 36. If you've got a Bible, will you please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22 verse 31 to 36. Oh, I think I got this. Matthew 21, 31 to 36. I'm sorry, I got it wrong. But there was a verse whereby it says this, that Jesus says, and it was, he, was, he was actually confronting a group of Pharisees who was questioning of whether there's a resurrection. And Jesus says this. He said, Have you not read what God spoke? Have you not read what God spoke? It's underlined in Jesus' confirmation that God spoke through the writing. Have you not read what God spoke? And what he was talking about is about the resurrection. Whether there's a resurrection. And he continued to say that how God keep a, com- uh, a covenant with Abraham and Isaac. What it means to say is that now this book is no longer is no longer a book which just teaches us how to live now. It has transcended, and this is the word of God, which tells us what is life after the resurrection, about the resurrection, about life after. Suddenly, this book actually lifts it up, not about just living now, but what's our hope? And in this book. When he talks about the covenant of Abraham and Isaac, it's talking about what God is reaching out to us. Reaching out to us so that we can have, have hope. We can have hope. So this book suddenly becomes very, very important and is very authoritative. It's authoritative. <coughs> if we're looking for love, for the meaning of life, living now, how to, how to negotiate the pitfall of life, this book is it. But more than that, it gives us assurance of the question we have in our life about life after death, about meeting God. This book has authority. Maybe I should end my sermon now because I would like to interest you enough to read this book. To read this book. If there's anything I can get from this, I hope you just treasure and read this book. But we have to carry on. If you want to know what the second verse is, I can find for you. I'm sorry I made a mistake there. It's alright, is it? Why is that not? I have a wrong Bible here. <laughs> now, sometimes when you are here, we tend to, you know, 
the tension is too much. <laughs> now, the scripture is the bedrock, bedrock of the churches in all ages. In all ages. It's not new that we just suddenly have a love for the scripture and we start reading it and enjoying it. The scripture is the bedrock. It is some churches have the cross or whatever emblem. It's not. That's not it. In all the churches, all through history, this scripture is the bedrock of our belief. Not tradition. Not charismatic leaders. None of that. Not big churches. But this. If we were to go to all these old churches, you know, we, I went to Meteora and there was this old churches and all that. And when I see that the scripture is displayed, I knew that is where the centrality of our belief is founded. Not in the paraphernalia, but this itself. And scripture were the most important element that defined the early churches. So that's why we want to find why we say the scripture have authority in our church and all the churches. Now, while saying that, Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, Satan came to subvert God's authority and he says, did God really say? Did God really say? And this is the challenge we have. Satan did not tell Eve, look here, yes, the Garden of Eden is beautiful, it's fun, but let me show you another one, you know, where you can have more fun there. Now, he just said, did God really say? And this is our challenge today, as it has been the challenge right through 2,000 years ago. Did God really say through this book? And that's the challenge. Now, let me tell you a, a story. You, you heard of Sherlock Holmes, the great detective, and his sidekick or his helper, Watson. One day they were camping out, camping out in the the open. And Sherlock Holmes turned to Watson and says, Watson, when you look up, what do you see? And Watson said, Astrologically, I can see the Orion Belt and I can see Jupiter there. Astrologically. And say, Meteorologically, because there is a ring around the moon at night, it's the traveler's delight. So we won't be expecting rain tomorrow. Theologically, when I see the glory of all this, I want to praise God. Then Watson asked Sherlock Holmes and said, Holmes, what do you see? Holmes said, you idiot! Somebody has pinched our tent! <laughs> now, here I will say that Watson is having a bigger view and somebody, although did pinch the tent, we in the Christian world, somebody did pinch, have pinched our tent and we have to look at a bigger view now. We are actually having some pre, some help 
comfort zone. When we say this is the word of God, we have to learn to define it, to explain it more correctly. Alright, let me share that. If you were to be reading your Bible and a Muslim come along and ask you, you're reading the Bible, to you that's the word of God. What do you say? Yes, it's the word of God. You believe everything is there and true? The answer? Yes. Unless somebody have a different view. Yes. Then the Muslim will say, look here, you know, God cannot lie, right? And that's the word of God. Now, will you open your Bible with me? The Muslim asks you, challenge you to open the Bible with you. And underneath your Bible, it says, you can see, other manuscripts say this. Other manuscripts say that. Do you know that in the Bible, there is saying that what you have here, there are differences in the manuscript. Straight away, you, you, you back up and say, and say, no, no, let me tell you that. Do you know, the Muslim will tell you, do you know there are thousands of variances in the early manuscript? And therefore, your Bible is not true. How can you say it's the word of God? Let me even give you better. Do you know there are 400,000 variances in the manuscript? And how would you answer that? And if you were walking with your teenage son or, or one of your, your children or somebody who actually trusted you and say, he go back home and say, Dad, how do we answer that? Is it true? There are 400,000. I tell you it's true. There are 400 over 1,000 variances in the manuscript. And you cannot run away from what is evidence. What is evidence. So how do you... It's going to be a longer answer, but I hope you bear with me. Alright? But at the end, please hold me. The conclusion is we do have a very robust answer to that. Or you hear the light of Dr. Bart Ehrman. Now he is to those who are in textual criticism, who criticize the, what we are holding in the Bible, he is like Richard Dawkins. He was a moody Bible caller and he got his doctorate and he is teaching about the scripture. And he wrote the book Misquoting Jesus. He says that the Bible in the Gospel, I'm looking at the New Testament, the Gospel, we are misquoting Jesus. And one of his model is that if you play the party game of whispering, you know, you whisper to the first person something, and the second person carry the message, and by the time you go to the third or tenth person, you find that the message is distorted, and say, that's what happened. That's what happened. How can you have that transmission without distortion? And so Bartman say, therefore, he said, what we have in the Bible, we are just misquoting Jesus. Because he said the earliest of a more complete gospel we actually happened, which we have, is around 280 to 380. How do we answer that? 
How do we answer that? The variances in the manuscript, as pointed out by the Muslim, the inevitable error in the transmission. How do we understand? Now, I was a little bit hesitant to actually even develop this message, but I find that among us, we are quite a matured audience who studies the Bible and we can face the truth and we are people of the truth. I think we can handle it because we owe it to handle it to the next generation that we have a credible answer to that. And we can form a credible answer that. Our ten have been taken out. The saying that this is the word of God, the full stop. The Muslim will say that their Quran, I will deal with that too, their Quran is the word of God because every dot, comma, full stop, It's the same. No change. Directly inspired from God. And therefore we cannot change. And that's why they are learning Arabic. Because they find even the translation is corrupted. So they say they must learn Arabic to know the full stop, the comma and all that. So that is the Muslim point of view. And you have to hold that view because we're going to actually address that too. Okay? So there are two of these. And... uh, the transmission of the New Testament manuscript, that's what I'm going to hold. Now, who am I to speak with authority to you all on this subject? All right, I can say that I have to rely on research. And how do you know that my research is credible? So what we do is normally we reach to the highest level of debate where two persons fighting each other in a in, in, in the public square, in the university square, in among scholars. So you can accept that these people are putting themselves really hot on the seat. So our court two person is actually Bart, uh, Dr. Bart Ehrman. He is the other side. Alright, he's the other side. Okay? He's credible because he do know the scripture very well. Especially on Old Testament manuscript and New Testament manuscript and all that. On our side here, we have this guy, Dr. Daniel Wallens. Dr. Daniel Wallens actually, his job, his, uh, his, his, the organization he is actually involved in, actually is digitizing all the manuscript. All the manuscript we have, he's digitizing and make it available on the net for us. And he is a Christian and he is really, really, loving the Lord and through his way affirming the, 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 the accuracy of what we have here. So if you want to have a big longer version of it, you go to www.bbgirltraining.org. Now this is endorsed by to those who are familiar, J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer endorses he's the dean of Regent uh, Regent uh, College. Uh, topmost biblical college and he endorsed this biblical training and then you put search Greek you can search canon of the bible you actually can find what uh, I'm sharing with you so what I'm sharing with you is more of taking it and just throwing it out so there's not much of my thinking going out here alright so Dr. Daniel Wallace somebody Dr. Daniel Wallace have a lot of debate with Dr. Bart uh, um, and, and and I think it's worthwhile to to know that in the YouTube now in the YouTube you can get almost everything 
Alright, so we are aware this is the community we are having it. So we can't run away. If your 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 children goes to the universities, one thing they will debunk say the Bible is not true. Doctor Bar Amman say it cannot be possibly true. They have read they have read the book, what they call misquoting Jesus, what you read is not true. And what can your our, our students say? No? Alright, let's go to this. Let me take you through how the Bible is transmitted through the ages. Now, this blue side, the autograph is complete. It's around 110 180. What is the autograph? The autograph is the first copy. Now, we have in the Bible, in the New Testament, the Gospel and the letter. Now, the, I'm only talking about New Testament. New Testament is all the writing after Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is the writing before Jesus Christ. We combine them together because we see the Bible as a whole. Now, the Old Testament is another subject entirely. It's good too to look there, but we can't compress this all into today. In fact, this is I'm preparing a sermon for three sermons in another church to do this, and we don't have too much time. Alright, autograph. Autograph is the first copy, like Paul's letter, the first copy he inked it and he sent out. That is the autograph. That means it's the original copy. And this is lost. This is lost. So when a person over the church, if you look Colossians at the end of it, Paul asked them, when you receive this letter, this kind of letter, read it and then send it to somebody else to read it too. So it is part of the church, early churches. Uh, Practice to read Paul's letter, to read the scripture, to read Paul's letter, to read Peter's letter, to read this letter as part of the church. Although it's not compiled to as a Bible yet, it's part of it. So what happened? When Paul sent it, then the church would take it, read it, and then other churches will find it beneficial. They will copy it to the next copy. Then the people from Lodicia, for example, come over to Corinth and they see Paul's letter, read that. They will copy it and they take it to the church. So this is part of it. So the autograph, the first, first copy, and at 110, around 110 AD, the last thing was written. It's an estimate, but you just know what, what it is. Alright? John Ryan, P52, is around 150 to 200 AD. That's my estimate. But I think some scholar using some ways of Analyzing thing, thing is even earlier. It could be even one one o eighty. Some even goes ninety. It's almost like so fresh. Remember Jesus died and rose again in thirty three a.d. You are talking about one generation. It is very very immediate kind of record. All right. So we have John Ryan P fifty two containing five verses. Only five verses. Of John Gospel, but it contained that verses which we read, you know, extents of that. Then we have next, in around 280, we have the Bolimir Papari, P66, 72, 75. And this one have grown, you know, have grown. I mean, the, 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 the preservation is better because it contained more of the just one script. It contained Luke, John, Jude, first and second Peter, or part of it, or part of it. And it is actually something you can go to one of the, uh, one of where it's kept there. I think it's the Bolimer. Oh, they sold it. They sold it for. Howard offered to buy this for 
$50 million that was in, I think, in, in, in the 1950s. But it was given, I'm not sure, it was given, somebody bought it anonymously and gave to the Vatican. It was bought at a much bigger price. At 1950, around, if you talk $50 million, what, what are you talking about now? So this was actually treasured. It's now, I think it's now in the Vatican, one of them. And then we have the Chester Betty Papery. Now P46, 45, 46, 47, containing most of the New Testament. I'm saying as the time goes on, you have more and more of the scripture because you have better, I mean, it's lesser than this. The church actually do not take the Bible and just put it on there and worship it. They use it. And so because it's a paper thing, when you use it, it gets worn out. It get worn out. So you have that, that scenario where it's worn out. It's made of paper. It's not inscribed on some stone structure and all that which lasts a bit longer. It's all written. Now, after the uh, Chester Betty, we have actually the Codex Vaticanus. Now, if you are not sure what the mean Codex, Codex actually means that it is a book like that. As other time we have the scroll. Scroll and codec is a bit different. There's a reason for why I'm saying codec because codec you can actually put more things. The scroll is, you don't want to read, you have to extend it. So codec Vaticanus, codec Vaticanus have a most complete of the scripture we have. And then later we have codec Sanitikus. It was also, it's all these are dated in the 480, 480. So we actually have a very early Bible. Actually, Codex Sinaiticus, I have the opportunity to look at it. I was working in the University of London, and next to it was the museum, British Museum. And you go there, you can see the Codex Sinaiticus in a glass cage, and you look there, 480, you can actually look at it. I have the opportunity to look at it. It was a privilege. And then we have Codex Alexandrus. There's all these Codex. These are Bibles which dated 480s and all. We have actually a very good record through the ages of the Bible. Is that all what we have? We have actually 5,720. No, it's wrong. It's now, in night, uh, the latest I have is coming to 5,900 5, manuscripts. It's always growing because people are unearthing. And they are finding more and more manuscripts. Now we are talking about 5,900 manuscripts. Manuscripts of different sizes. Some are just few pages of the Bible. Some are more and more. And you actually have a lot complete Bible. 5,200 manuscripts of the Bible. Alright? This number is very important. Because I want to come to the argument of that later on. Now this is the major of the text. And then from these 5,720 manuscripts in Greek, we have two, the critical text whereby the Greek New Testament is actually formed. Okay? Because there are variations, I agree, there are variations in this text. Scholars, uh, Nestor Allen uh, actually uh, did the work, and we call that the NA28. It's a 28 edition. And then there's a Greek tag, 28th edition, we find that that will sort of be very close to the autograph. 
from all the manuscripts, the scripture, uh, the, 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 the scholars, both Christian and non-Christian come together to try to find what will be the original text. So actually, the latest we have, the latest edition is NA28, uh, National Island 28 edition, or the UBS 5. It's almost the same. It's only some paragraphing different. The word 5 means there's a 5 edition already. So, from all this manuscript, when we study, it's accepted that this is the, 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 the scripture we will contemplate when we actually study the Bible. Or from then, some people used it to translate. And all these are in Greek. The NA28 and the UBS5. I must now also take you to the King James Version and another group is called the Texas Receptors. I hope I'm not going to confuse you. Now, in the 1400, Erasmus actually wanted to edit a, a Greek New Testament. Okay, and she did the first edition, and as he only had that time because he don't have all the manuscripts. He only had seven manuscripts, and none of his manuscripts go earlier than 1100 AD. So he have a later manuscript, and with that, actually he did a pretty good job, but he had to correct it five times, five editions. In the second edition, who was the one who reformed England? Uh, Reformer Martin Luther. Martin Luther took the second edition and translated it to German. And from then we have the German Bible, German translation, and the Lord used it. And with this seventh edition, a, a publisher published it called the Texas Receptors. Now they don't see the seven five thousand eight hundred manuscripts. And from then on, we have the King James Version. Now, King James Version is actually a monumentous work. It is as a Greek, uh, as a English literature. I think there's nothing, not even Shakespeare and all that can be compared to the King James Version. And it has benefited the church a lot. It, from then, we have reform, we have the church growth and all that. And King James Version has been a blessing. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. But then, if we are now coming to a generation where we have more manuscript, we found in the, in the academic world that the King James Version is a little bit not as accurate as what we can have in uh, what you call the NH28 or UBS5. And that's true. So, so, uh, Alright, so we will consider this NA28 and UBS5. Now, how do you account for the 400,000 variances? Alright? It seems very big. 400,000, big! Alright, we must consider that there are over 5,720, let's, let's use this figure, 6,000 manuscripts. Now, if this 6,000 manuscripts we can actually put them together and it reduced in size because some are just a few pages and all that to come to a, only 1,500 complete New Testament. What I mean to say, 6,000 manuscripts come out to a few million, million over pages. And we 
Put them together and equivalent to about 1,500 complete New Testament. You know what I mean? The equivalent of it. Number of words and pages. If you divide it 400,000 divided by 1,500, you only have 270 variants per complete New Testament. If you know that our New Testament is about this thick, and you think that they're only on the copying is only 270 variants means mistake or differences. It's pretty accurate, isn't it? You have such a big chunk of pages to write and you only have 270 variances and 90 plus of the variances are insignificant variances a wrong spelling of word a choice of when the scribe write a choice of Greek structure I understand that the, even when you have the word like Mary loved John you can have about 50 or 60 ways of writing that in Greek with the meaning absolutely doesn't change. So there's a, probably a choice. So they are finding this available. And all scholars, Christian or non-Christian, knows that there's no significant change in the belief, the doctrine we have. They will accept that. All right? But so the 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 the... the the variances of 400,000 suddenly is reduced to insignificant. Insignificant. And thinking that there are 800,000 words in the New Testament. But I have to correct that because this in English. In the Greek, it's only about 150,000 words. You have 270 sort of variances in 150,000 words. Come on. I think you are talking of a very accurate transmission rather than an inaccurate one. But of course, if you hold on to what the Muslim hold, that not even a dot, a comma, and all that kind of thing, then you'll be disappointed. But that is not the truth. That is not the evidence. The evidence is what we are having now. That we do have over 1,000, 2,000 years a very, very, very accurate transmission with such minor error. Remarkably minor error. Okay? But there are significant variances. Let us have it. Alright? I can think of four. Now, in the, in the King James Version, the 1 John 5 verse 8, the Trinitarian formula is not supposed to be there. That's where it says the Father, the Son, and the Spirit three in one. It's not in the scripture because even Erasmus' first two editions don't have that. It was influenced by... He, he was under pressure by the Vatican to come up with something to affirm the Trinity. He was under pressure and then he had the escape clause. Then somebody introduced him to a, a manuscript. Roy, a, a, a translator, Roy, introduced him to a manuscript from England and they have this Trinitarian formula, and he's just slightly in. He's slightly in. So, John chapter 1 John chapter 5, verse 8, we don't have the Trinitarian formula. Although even the, the, the early church father would love to have that. Would love to have that. Because when they were, they were de- debating against the Arian, 
Aryan creed, uh, Aryan belief about the, de- de- uh, about the deity of Christ, they would love to have that and just game over. But we don't have that. Let's admit we don't have that. The second is the longer ending of Mark. The longer ending of Mark is found in 16, 9 to 20. The longer ending of Mark is not there. It's up there whereby it talks about uh, handling of snakes, <laughs> eating, drinking poison and all that. If we are drinking poison and snake handling church, it will be concerned. But there's nothing to, to, to disturb us as regard to our doctrine. The longer ending of Mark is not there. Alright? Ah, this is something going to hurt us. The woman caught in adultery. You know the story of the woman caught in adultery? And we just ask whoever have no sin, throw cast the first stone. It is not there. It's fine on the later manuscript. And it was a floating text because you can find it in a, a few areas. John, and then finally it settled on John chapter 7 verse at John chapter 7. It was floating. And this is one of the signs that, you know, it was a mind. The story actually tells about the love of Jesus, the forgiveness, but we can find it everywhere else. We can find it. Even the Trinitarian formula, we don't have it in John 1, John 5, 8, but the whole Bible, we can get the, Trinity, the, 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 the deity of Christ out of the rest of it. We don't need that. It's the whole summation which is important. And the woman called adultery. That is not in the, 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 the manuscript. And then we have the baptismal formula when the Philips, Philip, Philip took the eunuch to baptize. And the longer version is do you believe in the fathers and, and, and the Trinity formula? There's a debate, and the debate is that uh, you can have it both ways, but the debate is that it's not in the form. But also that. You can get the, the, the baptism, uh, uh, what do you call, how we should baptize from other parts of the Bible. That person should know Christ first before he's baptized. All right? Now, there's one more which I, we found uh, is uh, if you're pedantic, that, you know, the, the number of the beast is 666. But the scripture, the other manuscript actually say, you got it wrong, it could be 616. So, we have pedantic. We, we do not have that kind of statement of faith. I believe in the Father. I believe uh, uh, God the Father. I believe God the Son. I believe God the Holy Spirit. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the resurrection. And I believe that the number of the beast is 666. It's not, it's not in that sense, right? So we know that these are what you call insignificant variances. So these are, as much as all the scholars can throw it, these are the variances. So, we actually have the Bible very accurately. This is the most attested literature of antiquity. There is no book, no book, no literature in history, in religious sense or whatever, which is so put onto the test, attested by friends and foes alike. None in a way the Bible have gone through. We have a very accurate, a very credible, a reference for our head with much authority. With much authority. 
Alright, just in passing. You know, I told you the, the thing about the Muslim saying that not one dot, not one, one, uh, one, uh, everything, you know, it must be so accurate. There's this book I read, was reading by a Muslim scholar. He said, Which Quran? In fact, there are four Quran, he says here. Four Quran. But I just read to you what is one of the day. The last statement. He said, The essay included in this fascination compilation will shine much needed light on the impossibility of an inerrant Quran. But of course, no scholar is picking up this to actually, because some scholars who actually pick it up to do the same as the Bible, they will be killed. Shalman Rosdi was trying to explain one part of the Quran about satanic verses. What happened to him? Nobody dare to try to do the same with the Quran as with this Bible. Because we are people of integrity. We are belief is of integrity. We can hold to that. We do not force a person but we invite the conversation and the debate to be out in the open. So, praise the Lord. So the first part about the variances of the manuscript, I hope that that will give you something to actually work on. All right, This can be a conversation you can have with me later on to explain if I'm not clear. That's one of my prayer. Now, next, what about Bart Ehrman, the inevitability inevitable errors in transformation. He said there's a gap of, let's say, 180 to the first manuscript which is more complete in the 280. There's a gap. I think what he said is at 280, somebody decided to sit down and say, let's do the gospel and write it down. Because it's impossible for you to pass the message without error through the ages. Let me give another scenario. If I would, in the same game, tell Graham, Graham, this is how you're going to bake a cake. You're going to take one cup of flour, half a cup of this, half a, uh, one pinch of this, clearly. Now, Graham, can you repeat back to me clearly? And he repeat back. If he goes, uh, no, no, that's not right. This is what is it? Till he get it clear. Once he get it clear, now, Graham, you communicate to the next person. If the message is passed with such clarity, do you think that it can be a better than what Bart Ehrman says? Of course. Now, take it to another level. If I what I tell Graham, I say, let's put it in writing. Watch it. Don't you think the ac- accuracy again increases? And to think that when they write it on a piece of paper, it is the latest technology. It's expensive to write on a piece of paper. It's like you buying a notebook and inscribe a poem up there. It costs a lot. And you want to make sure it's correct, isn't it? Because it's going to be a costly costly undertaking. So you make sure it's done correctly. And the third thing is, they actually treasure the very word which is spoken, letter. 
they will be scrutinizing that no mistakes are made. And of course, if you want to leave the God out, you know, I think we have enough to say that that kind of culture, although we don't have the, 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 the scripture in our head between 110 to 280 in completion, I believe that it is an accurate transmission, not like what Bud Ehrman said. Whisper, whisper. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. So this is my, my question. But I want to end here, but just I, I, I thank you for just, just telling me. If I were to be in a debate and I can have the opportunity to ask Bud Ehrman a question, this is the question I'll ask him. You know, Bud Ehrman, you actually tear down the Bible, but you also agree that this is the most attested book and there's no book which actually come close to it. When you think of matters relating to your life, assurance of hope after life, Bud Ehrman, can you give me one book close to it that I can refer to? Can you give me one book? If you can give me another book, I will change. There's not one book. They can make money out of this criticism of the Bible. They can build career. There are professors who build career out of actually studying the Bible without believing. But at the end of the day, when you switch off the light, when you try to answer the very important question of your life. Life after death. What I do, what I do, how to carry on. What is the meaning of life? Where do I go from here? Do you have another book? You don't. You don't. So in summary, can I say that we believe the Bible is originally given by God and is divinely inspired infallible, entirely trustworthy, and is the supreme authority. Do you know where I get this from? It's our statement of faith. This is our statement of faith. Alright? It's our statement of faith. And we can keep this. The word I put in red is originally. Alright? Originally. Let's extend it's originally. But we don't have that. Okay? But the, 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 then the next thing I'll say, how do you take... I will say that the careful transmission have managed to limit the variance to be of any, in, any significant in affecting the message of the doctrine held historically by Christian. I, I hope my, my, my English is complete and right. You understand what I mean? That means the transmission is accurate. More accurate than any book you can find. And this we can use to rest because the message has not changed. The message of promise to you. Jesus Christ is the word. You come to become Christian, not because after you master this book to become Christian. You come to become Christian actually by becoming a follower, by believing in Jesus Christ. Because from then on, the word of God, Jesus Christ, the word of God, will illuminate you to the rest of this book. So it's good that you start reading the Bible, appreciate the Bible, 
But till you actually come to know Jesus Christ, this will probably be a close book to you. Close book to you. Shall we pray? Our Father God, I thank the congregation here and you too for bearing with me in this lengthy time and sermon. We call you to pray, dear Lord God, for, for Jim, dear Lord God, whatever treatment he has, dear Lord God, you go and help the people who attend to him, dear Lord God. But right now, we want to thank you that, dear Lord God, your word, dear Lord God, come through in so wonderfully in the transmission and so accurately done, dear Lord God. We thank you for all those people who put their work to it, dear Lord God. We thank you and we pray that we could actually take this word with some authority for our life, some reference for sharing the gospel that we, Lord, we pray that, dear Lord God, something good can come out of what I speak today. In Jesus' name, Amen.